Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. A terrifying near miss occurred today as local man Howard Cottrell was nearly autopsied to death. He was found and presumed dead on the 14th hole by the foursome he passed earlier. And that, listeners, is why I never pass on a foursome. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And today we are joined by a special guest from the Online Warriors podcast, Illegal86. Illegal, how are you doing? I'm doing so great. It's a pleasure to be here as a Stephen King fan and as a podcast fan. Uh, it's really my pleasure. So I'm really, really excited to be here. We're super happy to have you. And today we are covering the short story Autopsy Room 4 from Everything's Eventual. And we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. Before we begin, since we have a guest again, which I'm so excited for, I do want to ask our standard interview questions. Um, These questions are really important because they determine whether or not you move on to the next round, which is just talking about Stephen King for the next hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the pressure is on. I think I think I have this. (laughs) My first question is, what was your first experience with Stephen King? I'm going to do something unorthodox. And I'm going to answer your question with a question, which is, uh, uh, do you mean in book form or in other media for Stephen King's been on TV and movies? You know, my first experience ever with Stephen King was actually a TV show that I feel like probably not a whole lot of people watched. No, that's perfect. Just whatever your experience was. So that TV show was The Dead Zone which was actually, this was way back. I don't remember when this was. I don't even know what channel it was on, but this is one of those things where I had to be 12 years old or something like that. Way too young to be watching this, by (laughs) the way. Um, And this was a show, I want to say it was Anthony Michael Hall was the lead on this show. Yes, it was. Yeah, I'm I'm acting like you guys (laughs) guys watched the whole thing. Um, My first experience, you know, I guess asking my dad who he was. So my dad was a huge Stephen King fan and that was why we were watching the show in the first place. But then I asked him who Stephen King was. He said that he's this prolific author who writes, you know, horror predominantly. And uh, I asked if I could read one of the books and he said, no, (laughs) because I was was 12, Um, which, you know, made sense. I would call him a good dad, no matter what you said his response was. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, he was a good dad for introducing me to Stephen King and a good dad for knowing, Right. <laughs> well, you probably shouldn't be, you know, reading the gritty details. The difference between reading it and watching a, like, crime procedural, because that's kind of what it was, right? Yeah. So that was my first experience with him. But as far as reading, you know, actually picking up a book and reading, I, I think you probably get this answer all the time. It was The Shining, I think, was my mm-hmm. gateway into it. God, this is going to either be real great or real dumb. <laughs> I don't remember Dead Zone. I've never read the book. I have only seen the show in passing because he's psychic, right? Yes. And when he has the psychic visions, like zooms into his eyeball. Or am I thinking of that? So Raven? Uh, Boy. <laughs> uh, great great shout out to that so raven first of all not enough I, shout outs to i that wish so raven. that wasn't the first time you've brought up that so raven. <laughs> now i i don't know as far as eyeball zooming 
my memory of the dead zone the tv show frankly isn't that good um <laughs> something happened i don't know some kind of flashing and he would see someone committing a crime and say oh that person did it when you gotcha. think about it, it probably shouldn't have been that long of a show right because he probably just had a psychic vision and figured out who did yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> all right well excellent answer our second question On our show, we like to talk about what we call our Stephen King moments, and these are moments that can be something very overt and obvious, something that would creep out anybody, even the most avid horror fan. But it can also be something that's really subtle, and you think about for years to come, and it kind of ruins maybe like your childhood you made that real heavy. <laughs> really got real heavy towards the end. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, so my question is, do you have a Stephen King moment, something that has stuck with you that you didn't expect when you first started reading or recent reads? My answer is actually, again, related to The Dead Zone, which, Josh, you said you haven't read the book. Right. My favorite Stephen King book is The Dead Zone. And granted, I shouldn't sit here and act like I've read all of them. I think I've read <laughs> like 10, somewhere between 10 and 15 Stephen King books. But the dead zone it's not scary and like and i i think a lot of people maybe you guys hear this or see this but like i think a lot of people put stephen king into this box where he only writes horror mm-hmm. and he's only about being scary and that's well, and that's what he's known for and there's a good reason for that but the dead zone actually i don't want to spoil anything in the book for anyone who's going to read it but it got like profoundly emotional like mm-hmm. to, to to me there's you know, things like The Shining and and even I would say Misery is one of the ones that's the scariest that, you know, freaked me out. But then there's <laughs> others like uh, I would say The Dead Zone and also Firestarter are two that to me are a lot more about interpersonal relationships and how the characters evolve in the midst of paranormal experiences and activities and mm-hmm. become better people or change people or, you know. I just remember the ending of the dead zone and it's, it's tough to talk about it without spoiling <laughs> it, but the ending of the dead zone and, and you know, it starts as this story where, like you said, this guy, this guy is psychic and he can, he can predict things. He can solve crimes. He can save people from grisly demises, but it manages to escalate to this point where some really poignant stuff happens. There's a, there's a quote and I, you know, I should have had it ready. Um, <laughs> I can't think of it now, but there was, there's a specific line in the end of that book that gets me every time when he's writing to his love interest, he writes a letter to her basically. And it's very like, I I don't know. I mean, CM, have you read the dead zone? Do you know where I'm going? I have. It's been a very long time though, but I, I, I think it's really nice. We've haven't had a Stephen King moment talked about yet where it was kind of a spoilery thing and we couldn't give it away. So I think it's totally <laughs> fine to just yeah. let people wonder because we might have listeners who haven't made their way to the dead zone yet. Yeah, I, I, I think that one is my favorite. I mean, it. I think Stephen King's part of his brilliance. I mean, <laughs> if, if I could wax poetic on his brilliance, we'd be here for hours. But <laughs> I, I think his ability to take a very simple premise and weave something so great out of it and and you know when we talk about the short story we'll talk about that too it's a very simple premise it's a very horrifying premise but his premises can be summarized in a sentence that's usually five words long and in the dead zone it's <laughs> a guy has psychic powers and what he does with that after that is what makes him great but i i think starting from that point is inspiring to to me as a you know someone who wants to write eventually and i think to readers too it's just so accessible mm-hmm. and i think the dead zone is a perfect example of that so Maybe not an answer of what my Stephen King moment is, 
necessarily, but my answer is just the dead zone is awesome. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I guess no, that's, where I'll, that's where I'll yeah. leave it. <laughs> I'm so glad that you bring up the point about not all of his stuff is necessarily scary in the way that people think when they think of Stephen King, because we've had this discussion on our show many times where we're we're talking about a book and we're rating it and we're determining our rating kind of based on, well, I would actually recommend this book to my friends who prefer fantasy. And this would be a good introduction for them, a way for them to get into Stephen King. And so they're, I just love that it isn't all horror. Right. And, and it, again, if we're talking horror, I actually I just realized the one that I most recently read was uh, Salem's Lot. And as someone who's been always, has, that was my like little kid fear was vampires. So <laughs> reading that was like a culmination of like, okay, he took one of my primal fears and wrote a book that's however long about it and has this other thing that Stephen King has. And like 112263 is another touch point of like a lot of his books are like kind of period pieces too. And maybe mm-hmm. yeah. it's part of like when he wrote them, but also like 112263, it's not a scary book. It's just, hey, this is what things were like back then. And right. someone happens to be time traveling and, you know, there's a story, but it's also. Yeah, it's like historical fiction. I love historical fiction. And I've read 112263 three times <laughs> because I love it so much. I just read That's it for the impressive. first time this year. Yeah. I mean, that book is long, yeah. too. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. I guess, I guess we should stop talking about everything Stephen King has done <laughs> and just talk right. about one thing. And that is Autopsy Room 4. And this is a short story, the very first short story, actually, in the book Everything's Eventual. And so our protagonist, maybe it would be more appropriate to refer to him as our almost accidental victim, Howard, finds himself an unwilling and very much aware participant in an autopsy, his own autopsy. And I want to do a quick exercise before we get into the story. I really like the way that this story starts out. Howard comes to in a way that I think everyone is familiar with if they've ever traveled They've stayed at a an unfamiliar place, or they've rearranged uh-huh. their rearranged their bedroom. He's disoriented, and he's not where he expects to be. And unlike probably most of us who have had that happen, he doesn't have that dawning realization a moment later that he's in a hotel or his own bed. And this would be a very nice little moment of mystery, however brief, if the title of the story didn't give it away. Because titles <laughs> autopsy room right. four. Right. So what I want to do is give it a new title that preserves this moment so that we are disoriented with Howard in those first few paragraphs. And I have a couple ideas already. So I'll start with mine to give you both a moment to think about the title you might give it. All right. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Who's your caddy? (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. That can't be topped. (laughs) Why did you start with your best (laughs) one? Some like it rough, but you know, like rough. In the rough, yeah. Oh, oh, I get it. (laughs) All bets par off. So these are all going to be puns? It's very good. I wanted to make sure. Okay, keep going. And the butterfly effect. Oh, God. I have more, but I'm not going to say that. Oh, my God. What? You really got hung up on the golf part of this story. We don't see any golfing (laughs) happening in this story. Well, it's, it's, it's an important part, though. Without it, there would be no story. And I couldn't think of any other just like pun saturated experience. (laughs) Uh, um, In order to preserve the mystery, but by the time 
you got to the end, the title would make sense. I would call it This Bites. <laughs> okay. <Right. Yeah. laughs> so I, I, my first thought was was Snake Bit, kind of similar, yeah. similar thought. Mm-hmm. But the next thing that I thought of that would give people entirely the wrong idea, which maybe is the goal. I love the nickname Howard the Conqueror, which I assume we're going to get to. Yes, um, absolutely. I would call it Howard the Conqueror and people would be like, all right, I'm reading something about medieval times and yeah then, no no it's That's actually <laughs> about golf and you know a guy in a body bag you know that would yes that would totally throw me a hundred percent so do we have a winner oh it's one of the golf ones. it's yeah it's, it's that first one <laughs> who's your caddy who's your caddy <laughs> okay so now that that's out of my system no <laughs> hopefully um josh do you want to walk us through howard's first few moments of consciousness absolutely uh, so the very beginning of this story is so, it's so strange. I, he can see nothing. He can feel something against his skin and he can hear the wheels under him and he feels motion. All very vague sensory. So, sensory feelings? <laughs> yeah. Very, very basic sensory feelings. <laughs> and he's trying to piece it together. And as he's hearing the paramedics bringing him in for the autopsy, he can hear them talking and through all the sounds he hears, he figures out the where pretty quickly of where he might be because we find out he's been taken into a massive surgery before. So he's running through his brain. What could I, what accident could I have gotten in? Cause he also doesn't really remember. It's also terrifying because the where he has the why is still completely escaping him. And it is, incredibly unnerving <laughs> i mean it, it, the whole thing for me and again the, the, the title like you said kind of telegraphs where it's going but that was my only information so we start with him you know not being able to move at all not being able to see where he is you know like you said feeling these these vague sensory feelings you're right i don't know how else to put that <laughs> um, and i'm immediately like there was a cold sweat situation for me because this yeah. is like again this is like a very visceral but like easy to imagine fear right like Mm -hmm. as someone who's experienced sleep paralysis before which i hate even saying the term (laughs) oh this is like a waking this is waking nightmare territory for me so like i'm wired in by this point as i guess (laughs) it's brutal and i I wasn't sure because this is the first time i've ever read this i know uh illegally you've read it before sam have you read it before yeah okay so i'm the only one who's reading it for the first time i when he he next asks himself the question you know, I, I, this is where I am. Why am I here? Who am I? And for a second, I was like, for fuck's sake, if he can't remember who he is, what is this story? What is right. happening? But that is when he he easily recalls that what his name is and that he's a stockbroker who is known by his co-workers as Howard the Conqueror. We do absolutely need to talk about that for a full 60 minutes. And yeah, I, I get that <laughs> as a stockbroker. Right. I mean, I don't really know what stockbrokers do. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Did he sell a lot of stocks one day? And they were like, you conquered those stocks? I want to know how we got from point A to point B, where some guy was walking around and was like, wow, look at that guy. He's really, he's a conqueror. We should call him that forever. Well, if we, if we actually, let's, let's work backwards on this because our audience may not be aware, but uh, Illegal 86 is not your birth name. That's true. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, pe- a lot of people don't realize that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where, where did, where did your name come from? I'm going to, 
look i'm on i'm on a different podcast than my own it's time for brutal honesty <laughs> this is a name that i did not come up with in really? fact my best friend in high school came up with this name for a gamer tag and i did what any best friend in high school would do and i stole it years later later, i stole it but i stole it and now it's mine and and he knows about it and if he doesn't sign off on it then he hasn't said anything (laughs) you're gonna wake up someday to a message board that their screen name is the real illegal (laughs) right and then she's gonna just start hounding you you want to talk about nightmare scenarios yeah that's 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 one of them for sure you've started your own dark half scenario Oh, geez. right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, uh, it certainly wasn't a Howard the Conqueror situation. I didn't do anything to earn the title. Or maybe that's what happened with Howard the Conqueror. Maybe he stole it and just told everyone, call me Howard the Conqueror because he met it. someone named Bill the Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> I like we don't know. with Bill and yeah, not William. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bill the I Conqueror. Mean, Stockbrokers at country clubs, they're not going by by William. They're going by Bill, I think. Like, oh, he won it in a game of golf. Mm, they were we betting go. they were betting for for monikers. And that's what yeah, he got. See, now now we're percolating. Now I think we're on the <laughs> We've really fleshed out this world. Anything else? No, nope, that was that's it. <laughs> I, I do, think we I think we nailed it. I think we, we, yeah, I think, it, I think yeah. we got to the bottom of it. I, I do want to give a little insight. It doesn't really mean anything, probably, but I can't I can't help and I hate this. Every time I read Howard the Conqueror and every time you guys said it, my brain immediately switches it to Howard the Duck because that's the only <laughs> yeah. right familiarity I have with anything Howard. That's your pop well, culture so that, Howard. That was his old nickname. And yes. I'm, and I'm talking movie Howard the Duck. <laughs> right. And and Howard the Conqueror had that nickname and said, I have to figure something out. I can't have this nickname forever. So he came up with Howard the Conqueror. Oh my gosh. And it fits because Howard the Duck also never wears pants. And as we'll get to later, <laughs> Howard the Conqueror should have worn pants. Right. That was such a stretch and I did That it. was a CM Alexander, the queen of segues. <laughs> Yay. Okay, speaking of segues, we have somehow four other characters in this <laughs> 34 page right. short story. Illegal, would you like to tell us a little bit about who these other people are. Well, so uh, there's Rusty. He's the guy that you that you hate, <laughs> that you're supposed to hate. Right? Yeah, that's. I, I feel like Stephen King often has characters in his stories where he's like, he had a bad day where he saw someone he doesn't like, and he's like, I'm gonna write a short story and I'm gonna put basically this guy in it and just rip him a new one the whole time. Like, he, he has onion breath. He's trying to be funny and he's not. He's getting in trouble with the boss. Like, it's just none of it is good. So he's my favorite character. <laughs> um, so there, there's Rusty. Of course, there, there's Katie Arlen, who is the, I guess, the uh, the lady in charge, the mm-hmm. the actual doctor, uh, mm-hmm. who, you know, we'll get to later. She plays a, a significant role, obviously. <laughs> um, there's Mike, who honestly don't remember a whole lot about Mike. He's kind of just there. Yeah. It's really just Rusty talking a lot and pissing people off for right. quite a while. And Mike being like, yeah, can we get the fuck out of here? <laughs> and then there is the physician's assistant whose name actually right now escapes me. Because for a Peter. while, I think he's the person whose name you learn last, if I'm not... Yeah, yeah, because he calls him uh, Mr. Baywatch or something. Yeah. Because he's <laughs> called him, like, attractive, like, Andrew Dice Clay doctor or something <laughs> for a while. So... Um, the the Baywatch Melrose Place doctor. Uh, Peter is his name, or Pete. Peter, okay, yeah. 
but that's it. I mean, but you're right. I mean, this is this story is what like 20 pages or something. Getting five characters in there, <laughs> the accomplishment in and of itself, right? Um, Six know, if you uh, add Bill the Conqueror's backstory. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, that that's that's the roundup, and then you know things get get pretty heinous pretty pretty quickly i'll I'll throw it back over to you but that's that's the cast of characters (laughs) and we lose two pretty quickly rusty gets himself kicked out mike takes him along Uh, josh do you want to briefly and briefly because it's annoying summarize what rusty does okay how does rusty have a fucking job he elmers the situation he really elmers the situation he has been like we said trying to be funny and being completely disruptive and disrespectful and t- telling everybody that this guy looks like Michael Bolton. And apparently I love that he is aware and kind of hates it mm-hmm. that he looks like Michael right. Bolton. Uh, he keeps bringing this up and then he has the audacity to play puppet with a dead man's head, a uh, dead in quotes. He is willingly playing with a, what he assumes is a dead man's head mm-hmm. and making him sing It's just disgusting. Which you're, you're right. Let's not gloss over that. I mean, let's like, like imagine being that confident in your job security as <laughs> I, guess an, I guess an orderly is what he would be. He's just yeah, the body and he's not really doing much. And he's moving the guy's mouth and then is like looking around like, what do you think, guys? Pretty funny, right? Like, I just I can't imagine that. Yeah, it was nice to see him go. <laughs> he uh, he mentions that he's the one that we have the the story of, you know, he was picked up. Off the 14th hole, there was a doctor in the group behind them that is the one who pronounced him. And so he's the the reason we have some of this additional information. But he's just he's just riffing and he's being a dick. Like I work in a hospital. I am. I'll go on on record. I'm not allowed to touch bodies. Yeah, that's the rule. And if you did, I'd get fired immediately. (laughs) Well, are you allowed to play puppet with the body's mouse? Because that's different. (laughs) That's different. Well, I'm not allowed to touch them. So I, if I come up with a, a rig of some kind, maybe. Right, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Or Rusty doesn't get fired. He just gets very sternly kicked out by Karen. And Mike goes along with him. So now we are just left with Karen and Pete, who seem to have maybe a, a one-sided romance kind of blossoming. Howard gets the impression that Karen is in. Katie. Oh, why am I? I don't know why. I, I was like, that seems wrong. You know, I don't want to take that from the top, so I'm just going to stick with it. <laughs> so Karen and huh. Pete. Uh, so this this doctor decides that she is going to let Peter take the lead on this one, even though he asks her, like, well, isn't that a little bit illegal? And she's like, oh, you know, we do things our own way in autopsy room four in a terrible German accent. <laughs> Right. Yeah, she does it as a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this a spiritual sequel to F People? Oh. No? All right. You just broke my spirit. <laughs> I, I haven't had the pleasure with F People, so I, I, I wouldn't know. I guess you tell me. <laughs> I, I would caution to use the word pleasure for that did, one. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because I uh, am not old enough and did not Google this. But when he before he knows anybody's name, he's just describing them. And he refers to Katie as Ms. Cisco Kid. Did that reference mean a single thing to either of you? Flew mm-hmm. clear over my head. I yeah. mean, a mile over my head. <laughs> yeah. All right. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't alone and completely missing something. <laughs> so Pete is kind of freaked out, but he also sees this as an opportunity to further his career and get some experience. 
And so that can't be a bad thing, right? And this is where I feel like the the story really does a good job of letting us know that from this point forward, every other line in this book is intended to cause the reader so much tension and anxiety. Let's talk about God, that. It, and it right. fucking works. Yeah. As he uh, he's seeing them set out the instruments and he sees the the pericardial shears, which are what they use to stick into your stomach and then just cut up you and open you <laughs> up. I, I've seen them. They're very cool, but <laughs> I would not want them near me. But he sees them messing with all this stuff. And we flash back a little bit because we found out in the beginning he's had surgery. We don't really know the depth of that. But this is when we find out that on top of all of the terror he's feeling, he is also fully aware of what is going to happen to him. Not just yeah. if it was me, I'd be aware. Oh, no, they're going to cut me open. No, he goes back to the fact that in Vietnam, he saw what they called field autopsies. So he has seen these performed outside of himself. So he knows those knives are going to cut through my rib cage. They're going to spread. They're going to pull my heart out. They're going to do all this stuff. He fully knows what's happening. Well, and the other important thing, too, is that he he knows the sound that's going to make. Like, so much of this is based on sound, yeah. right? So like you said, he sees the pericardial shears, but first he hears them snip snipping and goes, <laughs> oh man, that's the, those are the pericardial shears. And he even hears, you know, like you said, back when, when, when Pete gets his big chance, the first thing you hear is him turn on like the buzzsaw thing. And, yeah. and Howard Cocker's like, oh God, like, it, yeah, I think they compared it to a drill in a dentist's office. So, you know, obviously Howard's staring straight up at the ceiling during all of this. He can't look around and see what everyone's touching. He hears the clinks of the instruments. So like the audio cues here are probably more important than anything. And that comes in later too, when, when they start, you know, jamming out in the autopsy room, which <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that. But, but yeah, it, it is an interesting perspective of his where he, you know, he worked in a field hospital in the war, I guess. And like you said, and he's talking about like how he knows what certain knives are called because he saw it on Jeopardy. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's all leading up to this, this climax, right. Of like, he knows what they're going to do. And by the way, he can feel everything. Like he can't move, but he, you know, he can feel like when someone's bending over him, he says the strings from the, from the scrubs, like tickle from the mask, like tickle his forehead and he feels it. It's like, and, and that's it's, also not to, forget because i forgot a few times that he's staring unblinking directly into this giant light that he describes as feeling hellish because his eyes are his pupils are dilated so this eye this light is pouring into his head i don't know if you guys have ever had your eyes dilated and then walked outside without thinking twice (laughs) well no not that part (laughs) oh i had my eyes dilated then i had to drive home and i didn't have sunglasses with me and it was the worst drive of my entire life. It felt miserable. I, I can relate, though, with a similar experience because I had LASIK. I had to lay there with my eyes taped open and watch them after they made the cut peel back my oh, flap fuck of you. my eye. No. Oh. No. And I couldn't do anything about it. And the worst part was that, so you, you know, you have two eyes. Um, sure. Yeah. Most people. <laughs> so right. once that horror, because if I had thought about that before agreeing to do LASIK, I would have been like, nope, I can't do it. <laughs> 
But once I realized the horror of the situation I was in, I knew that I was going to have to watch him do it to the other eye. <laughs> right. So I can I can kind of relate to Howard's feelings as he's sitting there and things are happening to him and he can't move. Well, don't, don't they say too with LASIK? Uh, so a little bit of background. I have horrible eyesight to the point that I can't even get LASIK anymore. They were like, I've, I've aged, not aged out. I'm young, but like my <laughs> eyes have aged out of LASIK. Like they're too bad. Oh, wow. So I can never get them. Uh, but my parents both got it and uh, my girlfriend got it. And she said, you can smell like the lasers, like lazing, you know, doing uh-huh. the LASIK thing. And she said she could smell it. So like, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't talk about eye stuff anymore than we have to, because it's like it's horrifying. But I have I have like baby blues too to give to paint a visual picture. So like I this might be pseudoscience, but when I walk outside and it's sunny out and I don't have sunglasses, I like drop to my knees. It's all over for me. Like I, I'm I'm crying, it's horrible. So I can't imagine, yeah, like being laying down and looking straight at this glaring white light, like, jeez, mm-hmm. it's bad enough. And then worst things happen to him as i'm sure you'll get to <laughs> well and that's also a jumping kind of back to the beginning for a brief second since we talked about the eyes i got to about this point that i and i remembered man for a while there his worst concern was maybe possibly swallowing his tongue it got a lot worse for him real fast and let's okay so this is a good time to talk about this because we're we're talking about his and I love that his background like what a brilliant way to write that in yeah. to give the audience insight into what these tools do and and the sounds they make. I hate medical stuff and so for me the most terrifying part was later he is briefly lifted by Pete and his head kind of rolls back and he sees the instruments. So that for me was like the most cringe-worthy section of the book. And I'm curious for each of you, which part of the dozens of tiny little <laughs> injustices done to his body <laughs> made you feel the most uncomfortable? Boy, this is a tough one. I mean, there's such a long list, right? I think for me, it was back during the pericardial shears when he is describing the step by step like all right you're gonna hear it come down when it goes through muscle and then it's gonna clink when it goes through the tendons and then when it comes down on the bone you're gonna hear it clamp and then you're gonna hear it snap and how he like that progression of him just not that's not something that happens to him spoiler alert but something that he knows is going to happen might you say he doesn't make the cut get the fuck out of here (laughs) (laughs) but that is like that moment just has stuck with me mm-hmm. imagining that happening to myself. So I, I think for me, I, well, I'm bad with medical stuff too. First of all, uh, I'm one of those guys who, if I see a drop of blood again, it's, it's all over. Uh, <laughs> I'm, painting, I'm, I'm painting myself as a very fragile person, but I'm going to just, I'm going <laughs> to lean into it. But for me, I also think that if I couldn't move and, you know, was trying to vocalize and realize that I couldn't, I would quickly come to terms with like, I'm also a pessimist. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to die and I'm going to feel all of it. (laughs) But, but I want to go out with my dignity. So for me, the answer to your question is when they're, when they bet on, when they're like, what do you, what do you say? Boxers or briefs? I'd be like, oh, come the fuck on. Really? You're going to do this to me right now. So for for me, that was the moment. And like, 
I, I think he, you know, in as much as he, a paralyzed man on a table can have an outburst, I think he does have an outburst at that. It's like, oh, geez, give me a break. Like, <laughs> you're going to cut my chest open, but also you're going to, like, speculate on my undergarments. Yeah, you're like, taking come on. a bet on my underwear, you savages. And uh, Karen, Katie. Katie. <laughs> God. Katie calls him fat, kind of. Yeah, she does. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Body shames him. <laughs> Big time. I just want to let you guys know, my notes say Karen. <laughs> You're an insane person. I don't know what happened. It can be Karen. I mean, <laughs> she's, just, she's the only uh, female character in the story, so it's not like we're going to get confused. Yeah. Well, I, Ca- I just don't... call her Dr. Arlen. She went to medical school. Have some respect. Oh, jeez. Right. <laughs> Dr. Arlen. Because I also, I mean, Karen has such a negative connotation sure. in these day and age, this day and age, so... Anyway, they strip him down. Pete is, you know, so they've started the autopsy. They're recording. They've started the music. And Pete is examining just every inch of this guy's body. Right. The And all he can think about, because at this point, we've he's realized, I remember a snake biting me. So there must be a snake bite. This must be what's happening because I can still breathe. He's trying to make noise by like pushing air through his nostrils. Mm-hmm. And then they put on the, the Rolling, Rolling Stones. stones. <laughs> Right. And uh, he's just hoping, all right, when they go and they check me, they're going to find this. And then Dr. Arlen was like, Pete, do you want to do it? And he's like, fuck, no, (laughs) you do it. He's too young and handsome and stupid. He's going to miss it. And then what does he do? He's like, oh, there's some mosquito bites. That's pretty gross. Moves on. Right. That's that's the should have worn pants moment. Should have worn pants. Yeah. Oh well. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, let's cut this guy open. <laughs> and they flick when they flip him over real mm-hmm. brutally, but then he like gingerly sets him back down. We get a series of unsettling moments here too after they flip him over because his nose is squished on the table and his arm flops and he thinks, "Dang it, that hurts!" But oh, I hope my arm bleeds. I hope it cuts into me because corpses don't bleed. And then his nose being squished, he's like praying for his nose to start gushing blood because then he has this panic moment too where he feels like he can't quite breathe because his mouth is closed and his nose is squished. And then he describes them sticking what he is pretty sure is a giant glass baseball bat in his butt. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> why, why, don't, why, don't, why don't you talk about this first, and I'll see what you say, and then I'll talk some some about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have I have I have some firsthand experience here. I I don't know how far into that we want to get. I um, I want to talk about nothing else but that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> the the thing that I wanted to point out about this is that the one thing I love about this moment is that it happens, and he's pissed off about it. And then he has the uh, line after line. Immediately, he's like, looks like they skimped on the lube. Well, why would they? I'm fucking dead. <laughs> right. Let's love that realization so much. Uh, illegal taken away. Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, I should say, I've never had my temperature taken this way. Uh, thank goodness. That's now like I'm the more most, confused. Yeah, that's the most, most normal <laughs> uh, way you could relate to this. <laughs> I don't. I, well, okay. I mean. <laughs> It wasn't a it wasn't a glass baseball bat. That's good. Um, but I, if you can't tell, I'm I'm a man and hashtag blessed. I've had a prostate exam for for medical reasons that I won't get into. And if you don't know what that's like, then just read this part of Autopsy Room Four. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty similar. Um, if anything, it's probably more like 
they're going in there looking for something, right? So it's right. not just like sticking a thing in and waiting. It's like, all right, we're going to root around in there for a little bit and figure <laughs> something out. So I don't need to go into any more detail than that. But suffice to say, I understood where Howard the Conqueror was coming from. <laughs> uh, you I don't want this to happen. To right. You. I'm not even going to go into being a female and rooting around <laughs> right. inside sure. of things. Yeah. Because I've seen a speculum. I work in a hospital. <laughs> God. Speaking of duck, anyway. <laughs> before, before we move on, I do want to touch on one thing that I think we went past. But can we talk about the microphone for a second? Yeah. I, I, I want to ask you if I'm the only person who, uh, when they talked about the microphone in the recording, was picturing like the wrestling ring thing. Yes! Where the microphone kind of comes down. <laughs> That and he is grabs absolutely it in this corner, and it's and it's like, and he's just talking, and, and he's like getting the address wrong and stuff. And I'm like, is he just hold? Is it going to go back up when he's done? Like, I've and never been in an autopsy room. Obviously, I'm alive, so yeah. There's a lot here that I had to well, kind so of he. visualize for myself. <laughs> right, exactly. And then Sting comes in on a wire and jumps in with a baseball bat. Yeah, no, I right. um, I had yeah, I had the exact same thought. I was also waiting because they've been. So unprofessional. Yeah, Rusty sucked at the beginning, sure. But he is not the only one who's been very unprofessional about this autopsy mm-hmm. to this point. And so I was almost expecting there to be some uh, fuckery with the microphone and all that stuff. Is Hold on, back up. Yeah. Were they being unprofessional? Because Yes. I, I mean, that... So maybe I watch too many crime shows, but, you know, I'm used to the coroner, like eating a chicken salad sandwich when the sheriff comes in and then he just sets the sandwich right down on the body. And it doesn't seem like they're trying to be disrespectful, but maybe they've done. But the scrub, the scrubbing the tape though. Yeah. Oh no, that that part. Okay. I thought you were, sorry. I I guess I thought you were talking about the way they're treating him. Well, but also those moments that you're describing happen post autopsy. It's they've done the autopsy. The cop is coming back and getting the information they got from the autopsy. That's not during. I guess I'm just more laid back than you two. (laughs) (laughs) When when it comes to autopsies, you're pretty chill, Sam. Do what you want with my dead body. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Even that is on your tombstone. (laughs) Oh no! Yeah, no. That that's the caveat. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure I'm dead. They didn't really go into it. Uh, at the end, if I remember correctly, and we'll get to the end, of course, but like my first action point of like my first uh, order of business when I woke up as Howard and had my full functionality back would be get every single one of these people fired. Yes. No matter how, no matter what it takes, I would, I would call the governor. I don't know. I don't know what it takes, <laughs> but get every one of them fired and like, I don't know. The medical community is interesting. Like there's medical boards that you can get that like, you know, I mean, Josh, you might know more about that than me, (laughs) but yeah, I just, that was, I was thinking about that the whole time. I was like, these people are so fired. And then I got to the end and it was like, it didn't mention them being fired. And I was like, where's the payoffs? No one got fired. (laughs) Now I I don't remember uh, how long ago did you guys read this for the first time? If you can remember, I was a teenager. Oh man. Not that long ago, probably four or five years ago. Okay. So something like that. I'm curious, because I, I read this for the first time, did either of you think that at a certain point, because we periodically check in and, you know, he can move a, li- a tiny, tiny bit more, or maybe he's not sure if he can, he just thinks he can. Were either of you thinking that at some point he's going to move enough, whatever, to discover that he is alive, 
And then the two doctors in the room were going to have a moment where he's alive. Think back to everything they've said and done and then uh, just kill, kill him. him anyways. Yeah. Cause that's a one that's a good thought. That is 100% the moment I was waiting for. I was like, <laughs> man, don't, it's going to be hard. Once you prove you're alive they're they have all the power still. And now they have something to lose. So as I've said, I think a little bit ago, I'm a pessimist. So <laughs> I think, yes. I think probably one page in two pages in, I was like, this guy's going to die. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I was like, he's going to make some kind of movement that they like, maybe they second guess it and do it anyways. Or like maybe what you said, where they find out he's alive and kill him anyways. But for me, all that mattered was this guy's toast. I mean, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to watch him die by reading this, this short story. Which, you know, I guess going into that willfully past that point where I knew he was going to die is kind of weird, but I committed to it. I agree with the legal. That's that's kind of where I was. So, uh, Sam, would you like to tell us how we find out he's not dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't, like, why, don't, why don't you feel that? Yeah, I like yeah, how Sam. you throw that to me. Because I felt somewhere in your notes you were going to cop out and throw it at one of us. And so I was like, I'm going to put it on Sam first. I already I, told I my, my to. prostate exam story. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I feel like I've paid the piper yeah. and I'm gonna push it back in your direction. Okay, so geez. to kind of back up, well I'll I'll lead up to that so I can put it off as long as possible. <laughs> Good. Good strategy. So Peter continues his inventory and he notices a very interesting and nasty scar. And this is while Howard is face down. And we, of course, we're getting Howard's backstory and we know that he almost died in the war and this Um, scar actually travels all the way around to the front of his body and so eventually they get to the point where they are they flipped him back over and they are ready to cut him open and peter has the scissors pressed gently but firmly into howard's stomach not like inside but just ready and howard's like okay this is it and i'm thinking when i first read it okay this is it (laughs) and probably illegal is thinking that too and then uh, katie screams wait stop and i I didn't expect her to do what she ends up doing i thought she maybe noticed something about him or saw his eye move but no she realizes that they did not inventory the front of that scar, which is all up in his junk. <laughs> right. For lack of a better term. Yeah. And so she's, I'm, I'm trying to, like, how do I gracefully describe this? Okay. I don't, I don't know if, if grace is uh, going to be the key word here. The rest of this story, literally till the, uh, even the afterward is about Howard's penis. <laughs> yeah. And, he calls it his conqueror. <laughs> I, and I can't ever recall in my life reading anything and just rooting so hard for someone to get so hard. <laughs> right. So she's perfect. She moves his penis to the side. She kind of like grabs it, like it's a lever at this point, which I totally get being a female. Like, yeah, sometimes you're just like, what does this do? Yeah, I also get it. And and as she's doing that, and she's got her face very close to his junk. He's getting a little bit aroused. And so fortunately, you know, he's he's tried the eye thing. Like, look at my eyes. Are they, you know, diet are they contracting? My pupils contracting. I'm making these humming noises in my throat. I'm willing my body to bleed. And none of it is working. But now no, this no, chick, nothing beats a penis. I, <laughs> I, mean, right? so I don't know if I'd phrase it like that. But 
No, I would phrase it exactly like that. <laughs> and and he can feel her breath on him, and he's just continuing to get aroused. And at, right about that moment, and I hate that it's Rusty who saves the day, but Rusty comes bursting in, and he's like, "Stop!" They there's because they packed up his bag, his golf bag, when they came to get him, and there's a snake in there, and so they realize that he's alive, and he just got bit, and. Rusty looks at Katie and he's like, what are you going to jerk him to life, Doc? Because she's gripping his penis and it's stiffening. But she was so distracted by Rusty barging in that she didn't notice she had a hard dick in her hand and she screams. And (laughs) I love that moment so much. Okay, so that is where the story ends. Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. Did you guys? As you said, there's an afterward that's also about his penis. Yeah. And I, I don't want to talk about the this afterword. Is, I'm going to let you guys I, do it because I didn't God. anticipate it. I thought the afterword was going to be, and I got everybody God. fired. No. This is this is the best ending <laughs> ever. Some might say a happy ending. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the afterword <laughs> takes place one year later. And it's kind of it's at first just kind of talking about his recovery. It took him a full month to regain use of his like fingers and toes again. And it was slow going, but, you know, he's made it back. And then he says that uh, him and uh, and Dr. Arlen dated for a few months. But uh, he was which hold on. uh, Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, <laughs> you talk about like meet cutes in movies, or you know, you know, people are running running through a hallway and they bump into each other, and papers fly everywhere, and then their yeah. hands touch when they're picking them up, stuff like that. Can you imagine like if they got married and like you know someone's <laughs> grandma is like, "How did you meet?" and he's like, "Ah, oh, well, I almost died and." She accidentally gave me handy during the autopsy. You know, just you know, just romance stuff. Just romance like that's, stuff. That's that's what I'm wondering about. I mean, he, yeah, yeah. He glossed over that. He's like, we dated for a while. And yeah, then, I, yeah. I'll I'll let you continue on to why it didn't work out. I guess. I think I think this is the actual meet cute that was scripted for Sixteen Candles, but I'm not I'm not sure. I think they cut it for obvious reasons. No, uh, the God, this the story leaves off with the most amazing note. He says that they broke up. It was a mutual decision because they just they weren't sexually compatible because it turns out now he was completely impotent unless she was wearing rubber gloves. Fucking amazing. Do you think King giggled after he finished typing that? (laughs) I laughed forever. I laughed for Uh. so long because I did not see that coming at all. We should also probably mention that the reason there was an insanely poisonous snake just out and about in the world is because some douchebag collecting exotic snakes, uh, and I can't, did he die or something? Yeah. He died. Yeah. And so he, a couple days later, they find his, how, his home and in his basement, there are all these snake cages and some snakes have died. Others have probably eaten the dead snakes. So they're alive, but there is one cage that is missing a snake and they can't find it anywhere. And it's that's the snake that bit him. It's so a, that's how that happened. A fully ma- I love like that is such a Stephen King being like, uh, I'm just gonna just seal this <laughs> plot hole real quick. Dude had a bunch of snakes. That's it. As <laughs> as one does. Keeps a bunch of snakes in their basement. What was the name of is it African Boom Slang, the name of the snake? The a- uh, African Boom Slang is the name of an actual snake. The snake he made up for this is like a Peruvian, Peruvian boom, slang. boom Slang. That's he right. just liked the word Boom Slang. 
All right, before we get to our rating of this short story, I just want to talk for a moment about this being Stephen King's version of the classic Buried Alive story. And I mentioned I first read this when I was a teenager. I was probably like 13 or 14. And it was the first time in my life at that point that I'd ever considered, not my own death, because I thought about that, but that I might be aware of my death. My brain might continue to function. And they mentioned in the story that, you know, Howard heard somewhere that your brain may be conscious for up to three minutes after you die. And that's what he thinks is initially going on. And that's that thought has stayed with me forever for my entire life. And I kind of hate it. <laughs> it's a horrible thought. And so this it's just a little bit different than the typical burial stories, because in those I always wonder, like, OK, if the if the person is still alive, wouldn't the process of burying them, like the thing you go through, the embalming and all of that, or pre- preparing the corpse, wouldn't that have done the trick to kill them? You know, like the autopsy. So I never had any fears about being buried alive. But I do have a lot of terror about my brain still knowing what's up for any amount of time after <laughs> I die. And I, it, uh, that's what makes this story, which I wouldn't typically think too much about. Uh, and it's not even one of my favorites, but it definitely made an impression that has always stayed with me. So first thing, I've, I've never been worried about that only because I, I've like I, I was in a really bad car accident years ago and I your brain just kind of protects itself by shutting itself off for those really terrifying moments. So the fact that like some of that whole instance I never experienced made me feel comfortable in that if I die in some sort of traumatic fashion, I'm pretty sure shock's going to kick in <laughs> and my brain's going to be absolutely fine. However, uh, I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. I don't know. Illegal, you watch Doctor Who? I never have. I'm vaguely aware of, I mean, okay. everyone knows to a certain extent what it's about. But yeah. Right. So in uh, Peter Capaldi's season, there's a moment, there's an episode that is about the afterlife, essentially. Like a take on it. And there's this phrase that is... Uh, you see this phrase throughout the episode and it doesn't, then nobody, it's not like in English. And you finally find out towards the end of the episode, what that saying is. And the saying is don't cremate me because they find out that you can, your brain continues on after death and that you are fully aware of what's happening to your body as it is buried or destroyed. And that haunted me for a real long time because it also plays the audio clip because it's like this is the first discovery of of the fact that you're aware after death and it's a guy screaming don't cremate me over and over and over (laughs) and it is haunting well thanks for uh (laughs) let me let me in on that Um, that's a good thing for me to to take and and carry with me i'm gonna add that to my being conscious after death sure what if i get cremated i'm I'm glad i could help so in my will now i'm gonna have to have like hook me up to a machine make sure that i don't have any brain waves (laughs) right i i think you know for me going back to the buried alive thing specifically like what's terrifying about this story and i i think even the first time i read it i felt this way And, and thinking about being buried alive like the way i see it if i'm being buried alive so many things had to go wrong for me to get buried alive. <laughs> but like, I don't have to be that afraid of it because like, it's not like, I think there's like, there's like drowning, which to me is like, 
physically terrifying mm-hmm. could happen very easily yeah. watch people die from ground and that kind of thing where and then there's like being buried alive which like yeah it sucks pretty bad but like boy how how did that how'd you let that happen you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. so but but this but this story i think what's great about this story one thing that's great about it is that it kind of subverts that right of like mm-hmm. well you know presuming the existence of a peruvian boom slang <laughs> in a golf course it could happen very easily um which is one of the things that's great about it uh, before we get to our ratings, uh, Illegal, would you go ahead and uh, just to give us a little bit about what your podcast about the Online Warriors podcast, in case any of our listeners want to check you guys out. Uh, I've, I've been listening to you guys for a while now. I love your show. Uh, I, I love the rapport between uh, you and Tectic and Nerd Bomber. Uh, so if you want to give our listeners just a little uh, description of your show. Sure. So uh, first of all, thanks for listening. Um, and second of all, yeah, so the basic gist of it is Nerd Bomber, Tectic, and I are the three hosts. We were friends in... We're still friends. <laughs> we not, it's not we were friends. We're still friends. Breaking news. Um, not friends anymore. <laughs> we were in-person friends in college. Uh, we went to the same college and had a lot of the same classes and stuff and kind of connected there. Uh, and then I moved across the country for graduate school. So I basically went somewhere else and and kind of the way the podcast started actually is kind of a way for us to keep in touch you know we would get together and we would skype and just talk about all kinds of stuff and at one point i don't know exactly how the conversation happened but one of us just said let's let's try this out in a in a podcasty way so now you know we we do it every week where we get together and we we break down things that are for the most part related to our common interests uh video games pop culture science and technology news stuff like that we're talking a lot obviously about the ps5 and the xbox right now if that's your thing uh, obviously that's dominating the gaming i guess news right now but yeah yeah you know we, we talk about that we have a weekly quiz uh segment that i lose so every single week i root for you every week man i really do i'm so sorry for you I, you, you, you might want to back a different horse i mean it's, it's been a brutal brutal like month or two i mean it's 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 turning into quite the losing streak but yeah we have a lot of fun i'd really encourage anyone who's curious to check us out uh we're on spotify you know and pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts we're on uh, apple Podcasts too if that's that's your cup of tea so yeah online warriors check us out fantastic all right let's get to our ratings uh as you know we rate everything on a scale of one to five blue chambray shirts so uh i think I'll, i'll go ahead and kick us off with a rating this is terrifying it is 30 pages of making me cold sweat (laughs) and being so nervous and wondering which direction death will come because i was positive was positive this man was dying i just could not figure out how the fact that a what i thought was a throwaway conversation about almost having his penis blown off in vietnam literally turns out that he talks about having a the possibility he could have had a prosthetic penis. If he had a prosthetic penis, he would be dead now. <laughs> Having a real penis saved his life. And that's <laughs> such a bananas thing for something that I thought was going to be such a throwaway detail. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm going to give Autopsy Room 4 five out of five blue chambray shirts. You said pretty much everything I wanted to say. I'll just accept the penis part because I don't <laughs> care. But I'll just add that I really liked this. The story is short, and because it's short, we get 
something in every line. Mm. There's no lag. Everything means something. Everything is tied together and comes back. It's just very sharp and fast and fun and terrifying. And I'm going to have to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts. Illegal? So for me, uh, first of all, I I do want to say, you know, you asked way back, you know, alternate titles for this that wouldn't give away the autopsy part. Um, Nothing Beats a Penis is up there, but (laughs) (laughs) the thing about... Dr. Arlen Beats a Penis. Could be that, too. But (laughs) but the the thing is, that would give away the twist ending. And I think the twist ending, as you guys have mentioned, is a huge part of this. You know, obviously, as I've said, I thought right away, okay, this guy is dead. And not only does he not die, but the manner in which he is saved is is extremely unpredictable. And it's coming in the midst, of course, of everything you've said about how each line, I mean, handling exposition and characterization as deep as this characterization gets in, in 30 pages, it's, it's a masterclass in that sense. And it's also a masterclass in the typical sense of, you know, Stephen King creating absolutely horrifying imagery, you know, both in terms of sounds and sights and, and everything. So for me, I'm going to have to go uh, with five chambray shirts as well, which I know is kind of boring, I guess. I'll stand here saying, <laughs> this is the greatest thing in the world. But it really is something. And, and, you know, it's it's so fun to think about Stephen King was probably sitting on his couch or wherever he sits. I don't know. <laughs> but he was probably like, this would be a good idea. Like, what if, what if someone was paralyzed and they went into an autopsy room? And what if they got an erection and like that's probably so like again going back to like the premises and how simple they are it's in misery if you've read that he talks about how his character in that story plays the what if game and i think king was writing about himself there he probably started Mm -hmm. with autopsy room and then thought okay well what if Mm -hmm. the guy gets a boner and then you know uh, probably an afternoon of writing later knowing stephen king you know we got this story so five of five chambray shirts for sure for me as well. Fantastic. Uh, Illegal, thank you so much for joining us. It has been so great having you. Uh, Listeners, check out Online Warriors podcast. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we are coming back to our Patreon selection series for part one of Christine, where we will be reading through chapter 33. For CM Alexander and Illegal 86, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, all I wanted was 18 holes of golf on a Saturday afternoon. And instead, I turned into Snow White with hair on my chest. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Autopsy Room 4. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can reach us on social media or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please check out our Patreon page. We have some exciting things coming up for you guys for the new year. A huge thank you again to Illegal86 for joining us on this episode. If you guys get a chance, you should definitely check out the Online Warriors podcast. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.